Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. The Horn Frogs beat the Oklahoma State Cowboys 43 to 40 in double overtime. One of the craziest games we have ever witnessed at Amon G. Carter Stadium. One of the biggest home games in memory. And the Frogs are now sitting at number eight in the country with everything left to play for them in front of them and in their control. We're going to talk about the game and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, Jeremy, you and I were on here last week harping on how everybody needed to be there. This was the biggest game. Uh, by the end of the, the second overtime, you had to feel pretty good about our prediction of this uh, environment. Yeah, man, insane. it was really loud. A lot of people around, and they were especially loud in overtime. So, yeah, it was great to see over there in Fort Worth. It was great to see. The excitement was evident. I got onto campus about three hours before the game, and you know I parked almost down by Pascal. And even then, you could just you could feel something significant was about to happen. By the time you got up to walking through the middle of campus, it was uh, it was loud. the The university pub was was uh, tight, as they will say. You had a hard time getting in there to get a drink. And then by the time you walk across campus, the quad on your way to Amon G. Carter, it was electric. So it's really hard to argue with the outcome. So we'll dig into the game here, man. Uh, Jeremy, we got some big stuff to go over, highs and lows, but let's just start with what it, the kind of the emotional roller coaster of, of this game. Frogs come out and do not look good. Oklahoma State scores. Oklahoma State scores again. TCU starts to get on the board, but with 10-11 left in the second, it is 24-7 Oklahoma State. Did you have the same uh, nod in your gut that I did that you thought the blowout from last year was going to be replicated when it's 24-7 to 7 that no, early? No, I didn't think it was going to be like it was last year. I mean, let's be honest, that was one of the worst games we've ever seen um, for someone that follows TCU. I mean, it, it was it was never creeping into my mind, but, it, you know, at some point I was thinking, man, is this defense ever going to get a stop? Are they ever going to force a turnover? And I've – I've said it a hundred times and I'll keep saying, I'm not worried about the offensive side of the football for TCU. They may start slow, but they're going to end up getting it going. They're, they're going to score points. And I think every, they, they showed everyone that they could do that. This isn't the, uh, the team of old. And I, and I told someone the other day, it reminds me a lot of 2014, how any game you watched, you were never worried about them scoring points. And that's the way I, I feel right now about this team. But at the same time, I don't know if they can stop anyone. <laughs> at a consistent level, but no, I didn't, didn't have any, uh, didn't have any weird feelings about this being another, uh, blowout loss to Oklahoma state. Now I'm not going to say I sat there and thought they would come back and win. Cause at that point it was, there was not a whole lot of optimism, but just keep grinding and see what happens. Well, what do you attribute to the slow start? Because by the time the, the Cowboys jumped out to a 24 to seven lead, I will admit, I was like, man, what? I don't even know what's not working right now. But what do you attribute to the slow start for the Frogs, especially, you know, basically on both sides? Man, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, Oklahoma State's a good team. I mean, let's let's be honest. They were number eight for a reason. And I think defensively, we all we all saw what was coming with the last few weeks. I mean, the, the defense was giving up some big plays, whether it was uh, teams throwing the football against them or running the football. Spencer Sanders is one of the better quarterbacks in the Big 12. People from Oklahoma State, they he gets the same kind of knocks Max Duggan used to get with TCU fans. They're, he's he's not real consistent, but he's been playing really good football this year. And I think he looked really comfortable those fo- first two drives. He had 151 yards, and you're just thinking, man, they're going to end up getting 600 yards today. 
um, that's the kind of offense that looked like they were going to have. But I don't know. Maybe they were maybe they were a little bit too tight. Maybe they were, uh, you know, just thinking of the uh, magnitude of the game. I don't, I don't know. It was definitely something we hadn't seen. We saw it against Colorado, but they didn't get down fourteen nothing like they did on Saturday. I mean, they started slow against Colorado, and then they obviously built up and and won big. But um, I I think uh, I think Sonny even said after the game that he could kind of tell everyone was kind of tight and they really didn't have a, a whole big reason for, for the reason uh, they were uh, so tight on Saturday. It, it's kind of tough to kind of tough to figure out. Well, you know, that's a game that those players for Oklahoma State have been in for the last few years. They had uh, Bedlam last year, which they won. They had the Big 12 title game that they lost on the last play. Obviously, they go to the Fiesta Bowl and beat Notre Dame. And that's about as good a three-game run of opponents as you can have in all of college football. So they're not, they're, they're not unaccustomed to big game ranked on ranked. But for TCU players, they are. This, this, was, this is new territory for them. They're not the upstart underdog like they would have been in the OU game to come out and shock the world. Uh, this, is, this is the third straight week of playing a ranked team, and this, is, this, is, this was the best team in the Big 12. And, you know, they basically Oklahoma State came out and gave them their best shot through everything they had at them for the first quarter and a half, and the Frogs were somehow able to withstand it. And so I had a couple people tweet at me, you know, don't you love when people clap oh, yeah. back at us, man, that we, we actually, yeah, I love the clapbacks. But I, I take it, man. I'll take it. Jeff, Jeremy, you had better praise the defense after all you said about them on last week's episode. And I'm here Wait, to praise the defense. called me out for that? After. Someone called me? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I want to know who that was and, and figure out how they thought 262 passing yards was good for a defense in one half. Yeah. Well, I, I'm i here to give praise where praise is due. Hey, we did not look great against Kansas on the defensive side of the ball. We looked pretty – after the first quarter in a few minutes, the Frogs looked really good on defense. And they locked in. They had uh, – you know, the, the Pokes only had 386 yards. When's the last time – a Big 12 team puts up that kind of points but only has 386 yard, total yeah. yards of total offense. So I, I felt really good about the defense. I feel like we got pressure. This That was one of the things we talked about last week, that we did get a little more pressure than we have in the past. I thought that Gillespie dialed up some blitzes that we haven't seen in, um, before. I think Hodges Tomlinson played his best game of the year because we hardly – acknowledged his existence on the field and that's often how I measure how well a defensive back is doing not how many times they get burned or don't get burned but they just go out of their way to not throw his way but I Bud Clark are are you not happy for him I thought he played really well and considering what a struggle he'd had to get onto the field that that was kind of my defensive MVP if nothing else for effort and opportunity after everything he'd been to what are your thoughts yeah I mean they they played good at after a really rough start I mean like I said earlier they gave up 151 yards and two touchdowns on the first two possessions they settled in um you only get 200 and what uh 20 something yards the rest of the game the third the fourth quarter was phenomenal for the defense only 32 yards for Oklahoma State got uh I believe three consecutive three and outs and another one that got the interception when Bud got the interception so I mean, they played really, really good. I don't, I don't think anyone could sit there with a straight face and say they played great the whole game, but they made the adjustments. They did get pressured. The linebackers were getting pressured. Jamoy Hodge, D. Winters, 
got some pressure. That's something we, we needed to see a little bit more of. Um, we didn't see that a whole lot last week against Kansas, so it was good to see that. And I think it really rattled Spencer Sanders. I, I think he's a guy that does not do well when he gets pressure. And, I mean, there's not very many quarterbacks out there that, that you can say that about that, that, that play well when they get that kind of pressure. But uh, it, was, it was nice to see that defense. Josh Newton played really well. Uh, had had a lot of targets, man. I mean, they were throwing at him. Uh, Mike Gundy was not scared to throw at him, but I think he only ended up giving up two or three receptions. Graded out really good on Pro Football Focus. And like you mentioned with Trey, man, they didn't test him. I mean, we didn't hear his name very often because they weren't throwing at him. And that that was big. I mean, I, I, I really was happy for the cornerbacks that I felt like they both per, played pretty well. And I was really happy for Bud Clark. He got that interception. Uh, got got a couple big tackles, so yeah, I think I think first first two possessions about as bad as it can get, and I think everyone was kind of in uh, knee jerk mode, just waiting to see how many points Oklahoma State was going to put up. But yeah, credit where credits due, they they got it flipped around and they played good defensively the final three quarters. Well, let's flip over to the other side of the ball because I want to give credit to, to Garrett Riley. And one of the things that really annoys me is I am seeing on Twitter that Garrett Riley is going to make a great head coach at fill in the blank next year, or some blue blood program is going to want to hire Garrett Riley to come in and, and, and revamp their offense. Well, right now he's got to get the frogs to the big 12 title game. And maybe who knows what may be bigger after that. But I was really impressed with the non-knee-jerk reaction of Riley and this offense after they find themselves in a hole at 24-7. One of the things that I saw is they just continued to run the ball even when they were uh, you know, playing from behind the six, figuratively and literally. They just kept running the ball, doing everything they could to do, run the game plan that they wanted to run. And the offensive line, I thought over, over the uh, long haul of the game, they finally were able to begin to impose their will. The offense rushes for 224 yards. Kendra Miller goes for 104. It's really hard to argue with the long arc of the game plan on offense eventually worked. And they did two things that I think are absolutely uh, essential for the Frogs to be able to continue to win. They can they continued their commitment to the run. The offensive line eventually began to impose their will. And you get the ball to Quentin Johnston. And we haven't always been able to pair those things up. But they did in this game. And QJ goes out there again and, uh, you know, eight catches for 180 yards. That's a second straight game up, up, you know, up over 175. He is getting national recognition for the player that he is. And I was just I was really pleased with the game plan from Garrett Riley. And I feel like the offense, uh, you don't have to score 75 in regulation to win this game. And I feel like the offense did everything that was asked of them over the long haul of the game, even after a very slow start. What are your thoughts on what? Yeah, the offensive line played really well. I I felt like they did a good job of protecting Max. And obviously they did a good job creating run lanes late in the game. I mean, they looked that was the difference that I noticed that uh, TCU just looked more in shape, especially up front. Their offensive line was able to enforce their will on Oklahoma State's D-line, open up those running lanes. Kendra Miller got some tough yards. Amari, our our board favorite, got some tough yards. Those two guys right there, man, what a great one-two punch those guys are turning out to be. Uh, yeah. Three and 33. That's what uh, Miller was saying after three the game. And three and Yeah, I mean, I, I think it uh, – Garrett Riley, that, that's the thing. They don't, they don't panic 
on offense anymore. They they feel like they can get the points, and that's just what I just keep on harping on. They're going to get the points, and they, they just do a great job of staying patient. Patient. They they stay simplistic. They it's not trying to force a square peg into a round hole. You know, it's it. They're they're not trying to get crazy with it. They're just going to go out there and run their offense and let it come to them. They're going to take what what the defense is allowing them to take, and whether that's throwing the ball or whether it's running the ball, they they really uh, do a good job of attacking what's given to them. And so, I I, I really I really feel good. I, I just can't say it enough about the offense and the direction it's going. That's a really tough Oklahoma State defense, and you go out and you score. Uh, 43 points against a, a really good defense in the Big 12. Not only in the Big 12, but the entire nation. I mean, that's that's a team that was in the Big 12 championship last year, and you scored 43 points against them. Against them. So you have something to uh, be very proud of. You know, one of the things that I, I noticed as the game wore on, and it looked like the Frogs were going to be in a chance to at least bring it down to the wire, this team has quicker than any team I've ever seen with a first-year head coach adopted the mentality of their staff. You know, the head coach, they just kind of set the culture. And I know that's one of the most overused and, and some, in some ways empty phrases in, in football. But Sonny Dyke sets the culture, and that is a non-anxious team. Let's be honest. In the past, if the Frogs go down 24-7 against a really good team, Everybody's losing their marbles on the sidelines. I mean, they're screaming all day. People are out of position. Uh, things are just, you can almost feel the vibes. I know that's not a technical term from the sidelines by the way that the team is responding emotionally to the situation that they're in. I never noticed, even when they're down 24-7, this kind of anxiety that was floating through the sidelines or through the coaching staff or even when they're out there trying to execute on the field. And I give all that credit to Sonny Dykes. I give that non-anxious presence uh, uh, credit with uh, Garrett Riley. And even as fired up as Gillespie gets, you can be fired up and still be calm on the inside. And I feel like they're able to, to model that for the rest of their team so that no matter how, how difficult it gets or you're down 24-7, they're able to embody what Sonny embodies. And they've come to that not in a two- or three-year process, but Sonny Ducks hadn't even been on the job in, for a year, and he's got him 6-0 and and number eight in the country – with three straight wins over ranked teams. First time in program history. Yeah. Yeah. First time in program history. And that, that's, that's not simply X's and O's. I feel like there's some improvement on that front, but it's not simply X's and O's. It's his ability to stay calm. And he's a leader that I think people want to play for. Uh, He's exciting. He's clearly, you know, he defends his players. I love, we're going to get into that here in a second in the way he chewed out the refs. But the, he, he, I don't want to say players coach. That's what people say when, when, when they want to be buddies. Sonny's in charge, and you want him to be in charge. And that looks like it's reflected all over the I think he's a players coach because I think he knows how today's players want to be treated. And I think he knows how to relate to them and, and, and how he needs to react to certain situations. And, I mean, there's, like you said, there's no, there's no panic on this team, whether it's on offense or defense. The, the rise to, to be in panic is, is slower than Oklahoma State subbing in on defense. I mean, that's, that's how my – yeah, we're gonna yeah get we'll that. get to that's that. Right. But, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where they, they just they, – they do take on the persona of the head coach. I mean, Sonny does get fired up every now and then. But to be honest, I mean, he just 
he doesn't he doesn't go crazy. He just he just stays stays patient, and the players have just really bought into that. And that's that's what you're seeing right now is a belief uh, from these players. There's there's some new faces there. There's some new faces, especially on defense, but it's a lot of the same guys. And it says something when you have a lot of the same guys that have really struggled over the last three four years, and yet here they sit at six and zero. They're number eight in the nation. Everyone's talking about him. You've got a quarterback playing above his mind right now, a receiver that many regard as perhaps the number one receiver in the nation right now. So, I mean, you've got you've got some uh, some guys that have been around that program for four and even five years, and you're winning with a new face. And the buy-in again has just been phenomenal with those players. And I. I don't think they're ever going to go up there. Sonny's never going to go up there and say, yeah, I think they're playing different because I'm a new coach or anything like that. And they're going to be respectful to Gary, but I mean, I think deep down inside and they'll probably tell you off record. Yeah. The, the, the mentality's different around here and that's why we're winning. So, and sometimes that's all, that's all it takes a, a big culture change like that. We, we all saw that. We all saw that in 2014 when Gary finally uh, decided he wanted to, to get with the game on offense and run, an offense that can score a lot of points instead of a, a team that wanted to run the football and run the clock down and look at all the results we saw in 2014. It's the same thing we're seeing here, guys. It's a different, if it, it's a different brand of football that those players have played over the last three or four years. So I, I think we're all, we're all getting to sit back and enjoy the ride. And those guys are having a lot of fun doing it. You know, there's two guys that I feel like embody how exciting how exciting the program is right now. And it's not Max, and it's not Quentin Johnson, and it's not Kendra Miller, as much as that's kind of the three-headed monster that, that makes the team hum. Of all of the guys we picked up in the portal, portal, Wiley is my favorite. You know, there's part of me that loves the slow tight end that knows how to get open downfield with good hands and get in the end zone. But I feel like he is an embodiment of, I've got one last opportunity I'm going. I'm transferring inside of the conference to go to a team that that has had struggles for the last few years, and I, I think he's he's the unsung hero on the offensive side of the ball. And that guy plays with reckless abandon and with pure joy. I mean, like he just loves being on the field. And that not the touchdown pass that he caught when they ran that uh, the wild frog and zone read with Demarcado and Max took it and found and, and found him there, and they had to overrule yeah. a terrible call on the field. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. I want to get to another play, but tell me about – I'm down in the – I was in the south end zone, and I'm like, how did they not call that a touchdown? Did it look like he was in from, from where you were at? The, the only press box? person that thought that wasn't a touchdown was the guy that thought he was down. I mean, everyone – yes, everyone thought, in the stadium, we were, we were shocked in the press box when they reviewed that play, and we were all trying to figure out what the heck he was looking at and what's even worse, we're trying to figure out why it took so long for them to acknowledge that it was a touchdown. I mean, why? It, it took forever. And we're like, what in the hell could they be thinking about or talking amongst themselves? Like, it's a clear touchdown. But I, that was a, I love the play design. I, man, I, I, I love the, the way um, things are really creative on offense and you get your tight end involved and I'm with you, man. I like Jared Wiley. He's he's a fun guy to be around. Great interview, and you could tell he just loves being at Texas. And anytime it's funny when when him or uh, Quentin Johnston score, it's always the 
they always run over and give the temple tea to each other. So anyone ever wondering why they're doing like a tea symbol, that's that's they're doing it for temple. But yeah, I, I, I love that play and I love the play that he had a few moments before that when he went about 10 feet in the air and caught that ball. Yeah, that was the play that I was uh, winding up to get to. He was lined up there in the right slot and then just made his way across to the to the uh, east side of the field. And when he when that ball went up, I was like, "Oh my gosh, they overthrew him." That guy's got some ups. I mean, I know he's tall and he's got he's got long, a long wingspan, but he went up and got that thing. And I think that is another one of those uh, forgotten play or game, plays that's easy to forget. That without it, I'm not sure this comeback happens in exactly the same way that we wanted it to. So Jared Wiley, he is just an embodiment of the excitement in this program. And I'm so glad that he's getting this this last chance to play college football at, at TCU. And he's earned it. And he's not all transfers are, are guys that are washed up. It's just a guy needs a better fit or a fresh start. And if he can if he can tell that story to other guys at good programs or are guys that have kind of exceeded what they were graded out of high school at G5 programs, I think we're going to be able to continue to fill that roster with Jared Wiley's. They're going to be able to come in and make their mark at a, at a good program, at a great university. And I'm just really excited for him and what yeah, he's doing and, for the team. And like I said, he really loves being at TCU. One of the, anytime after a game, he's one of the first kids that are tweeting about it. You know what I mean? He's, he's tweeting out, uh, the TCU one or whatever, retweeting TCU football. So you can tell he's really proud to be up there at TCU and really happy. Well, we've already referenced three and 33, but I feel like uh, Amari DiMarcato is a 29-year-old Mormon that went on a six-year mission and got to come back and play more. I was explaining to somebody just how long he's been in the program, but he – Again, he's not going to be the leading rusher in hardly any games, but he's still got some tread on those tires, and I continue to see him contribute out of the backfield, uh, being able to catch the ball. One of the things he's good at that I don't think gets recognized enough, I think we mentioned it a couple weeks ago, that guy knows how to pass block. He knows how to read blitz and step up and not just, you know, I call it a lookout block, you know, throw his shoulder and then say, hey, look out. But he steps up there and he takes a hit. And he did that a couple of times yesterday in order to keep Max clean for just an extra second to get the ball downfield. I love I love the contribution DiMarcado is making that's never going to show up in the stat sheet, but is there because he's senior player. He's got experience and he's willing to do whatever it takes for the team to be able to win. I, I love no, watching him do, play. Man. I mean, he just – something about him, it, and, and with him being there late in the game, it's clear to see the coaching staff trust him. Sonny said a few weeks ago he's, they didn't know what to expect with Amari, and they said he's better than, than what they thought. That was, the, that was the best thing. They said he's, he's a really good running back. I don't know what his – I don't know where his playing experience or um, – when, when his football career is going to end, I, I hope someone gives him a chance in an NFL camp somewhere just because of his football IQ. Cause he really, he's a really smart player and you can trust him to do a lot of things, but man, I'm so glad he's on TCU's team because like I said earlier, they, they've got such a great one, two punch. Kendra Miller, I think is still going to continue to get more national recognition, but I, I really feel that Amari, uh, being able to come in and back him up is just gonna it's just gonna keep helping Kendra even more. But I, I really want I really want Amari to keep getting the recognition he's getting. He's cause he's playing phenomenal right now. 
Well, you know, the thing about Amari in terms of what's, what might be there for the next level, he can run the ball, he can catch out of the backfield, he can pass block, and he can contribute on special teams. That, that's how you end up being the 51st man on a 53-man roster, is that you, you're, you're able to find a way to make yourself indispensable. So we'll see what comes of it. We'll see what comes of it. So, Oh, man. All right, let's get to some stuff that happened um, during the game, after the game. You mentioned it. The, the, the great substitution drama. <laughs> All right, so you got, you got Gundy, who's – I'm going to steal the quote from our favorite guy that does Instagram, who's, who's sending his players out there with the speed of water erosion. <laughs> he just waits to the last minute and, and sends that guy jogging out there at like a 14-240. And then the guy waits, taps him on the shoulder for a substitute – and then the substitute runs out as slow as humanly possible. And then the frogs are, you know, are, did they take a timeout? Are they going to take a delay a game? And uh, yeah. Sonny let him have it. And it spilled over. He's, it, it spilled over onto the field. It spilled over into the postgame press, box, uh, press conference. Gundy wasn't happy about it. Sonny got his way. There's going to be multiple letters written to the Big 12 office from both schools this week. And I'm going to be curious to see how this fleshes out, especially if – we see the pokes again in Arlington, but what, what was your observations of, of the great substitution debacle? Because it was uh, it was it was probably the number one story beyond the game after the game. I actually online. thought it was pretty clever by Gundy, and it just shows the veteran coach he is. Um, because you're sending out two of the slowest substitutes ever, uh, and they were taking their sweet time. Let's not make a mistake about it. Any Oklahoma State fan that thinks they were really trying to get out there and get the sub in, you know, I'm sorry, but you're, <laughs> you're lying to yourself, but. I, yeah, those are orange colored glasses, baby. Orange colored glasses for sure. But. No, but let's say it. Yeah. It, it, I mean, was, it was a brilliant coaching. I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, Gundy, what was it last week against tech? They've got that new rule that if you kick the ball into the ground right away and then pop it up, on a on a on, on when you're attempting a onside, you can fair catch it. That's the only reason that you know Tech Tech caught the ball, but that guy made, signaled fair catch, so it was yeah. catch interference. And and that's that's a rule hack that Gundy he's got a rec, he's got a track record of being knowing it's not it's not cheating. I don't want to I want to make that clear, but he maximizes every moment to his advantage, and he was doing it with substitution until the f- officials told yeah. him he couldn't do it. Anymore. I mean, it was it was great, man. I mean. I was laughing because it was so obvious, and he just he just sent in the the slowest two guys out there. But I I think uh, I think Max and Sonny. I mean Sonny, you you don't know what to think. You know Sonny Sonny's going crazy against the refs. He's got the dad lockjaw. You know when you get so mad and you're gritting your teeth and everything else. And I, and I thought that fired the team up, man. I really do. It's like. It's like that, you know, whatever that movie, The Blind Side, when the coach finally goes crazy on the ref and Michael Orr starts going crazy. You know, he he, he saw his he saw his coach defending him, and and I think, yeah, let yeah. him play, ref, let and the boys play. You know, the, the the play. I think the Your players pitchers. love, and I let me tell you, I know the fans do. I know the fans got to love their coach getting getting in ref's face like that and defending defending his team. And I think you know the media felt the same way. It's like it's it's cool to see him do that. Um, I thought it was awesome later in the game. I even asked Max Max this after the game, how great it felt to start getting them, you know, beating them at their own game. Because after a while, they started telling they started telling the refs, "Listen, y'all, 
this is ridiculous. They're doing this on purpose. You guys are giving them till three seconds to sub out players, and you're still standing over our center. They finally started to get out of there faster, and guess what happened? They would get caught 12 men on the field, or they'd get caught being offside. So I didn't think, uh, you know, when TCU subbed later in the game, Oklahoma State wasn't trying to pull that crap after they got caught a couple times being being in that position. So kudos to, uh, to Sonny and Max for – you know, fixing that problem and, and making sure they weren't doing it again because it was, uh, you're, you're right, it was definitely the story of the game because you're sitting there watching it and everyone's booing like crazy and you're just, you can't, one of them, I mean, the, they literally were standing over the ball with three seconds left and how are you supposed to run a play? And I, I, I think there needs to be some more clarification on the rule. I don't know what it is. I asked Sonny about it, if you know, to, to clarify the rule and I think, he didn't really want to get into it because I felt like he might have said something bad about the refs at that point. But I think we all need some clarification on how much time exactly. If a, if a team on offense sub, subs out a guy with 15 seconds left, a, a sub should not be coming in on defense with less than five seconds. I, that's that That just needs to be fixed in there somewhere. Well, I can guarantee you the phones will be lighting up to the Big 12 offices out there near Las Colinas on uh, on Monday. So there, there's there's going to be some clarity come down from the Big 12 office. And I'll be interested to see how that shakes down the rest, uh, rest of the season. You know, I know that, you know, TCU, TCU will want to go fast on offense. I don't know who else in the conference is going to play at that pace. And I know TCU doesn't always play at that pace. But, what you know, all my eyes are on Austin this weekend. And I'll be interested to see how that uh, – it will be great for Oklahoma State fans online that are conspiracy theorists, of which they are a legion, that if Texas continues to catch a break on the substitutions in the way TCU did in the second half or that the officials uh, enforce it that way, uh, Gundy's going Gundy's to go off at the postgame presser again, and it may be even magnified. So I'll be curious to see how the, all that shakes out when Oklahoma State goes to Austin. Are they playing that game in Austin? Man. Yeah, that game is in Austin. Well, let me double check. I think, I think it, it is. Yes. That's not that's not fair for Texas. Getting the Iowa no, State and not. Oklahoma State. Yeah, not only do you get Matt Campbell at home, but then you get to No, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. It's in it's in okay. I'm sorry about that. You're right and I'm wrong. I'll say it. Don't yep. give me too much credit. That's right. The only, reason I, the only reason I was asking that I was because I was on Oklahoma State's board earlier this this uh, afternoon, and I saw that someone was asking about tickets for the Texas game. So I just assumed just assumed that that was in Stillwater. You are correct. You are correct. All right, let's hit a couple things that I know people want to know about. Were you down there on the no, when it the was, game ended? I wish I was. I kicked myself after the game for not going down there because I wanted to keep updating the board. Um, oh, still kicking myself, man. I should have gone down there. No, I was in the press box, Jeff. Oh. I know. I know you were. I didn't know if you, cause I knew a lot of, I knew some reporters went down. I knew some of the national guys went down. I was just curious if you ended up going down on the field. Cause I wanted to hear from somebody about what it was like. So you're up there in the press box what did it look like to see everyone rush the field as the game ended? I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, that's twice now. <laughs> twice now this season that you that you see that. And I think that was a little bit funner 
for that one um, based on the way the game ended just because there was so much emotion going on. Uh, what was cool, though, is the, the end of the, the field that they scored on because that was right in front of us. So the, the first overtime, they were down there at the south end zone. We, we could see things, but we couldn't see things really well. But you, you, could, you had a really, really good view. Basically, where my seat is is pretty close to the goal line down there on the north end. So I was, uh, I was happy to see that score. Well, well, let's go for that last – let's go to that last play. So the game-winning touchdown, old men everywhere – had to love that final play. You've got Max Duggan under center. There's this position that some people don't know yes. about called a fullback. <laughs> and then you got Kendra Miller as, as what we used to call a tailback. And they just line up under center. And I would have called that 33 power back when I was the day. Three back through the three hole. And on that play, I mean, I watched it probably 15 times from different reporters that were on the sideline. I watched the highlight clip. Uh, Amar, I mean, uh, Kendra got hit before he got to where the fullback was. That every, every yard he gained was yards after contact. He had been hit before he got to the line of scrimmage and still got his way right into that – right, got his way yeah. right into that end zone. And so that, that play was, was nostalgic in a lot of ways – but it wasn't clean. But he, Miller, Miller just was determined to get into the end zone. And the play before that, I want to get Matt, Max Duggan some credit. This is the difference. You know, I know he's hurt, so I'm not dogging on him. This is the difference between Jalen Daniels and, uh, and Max Duggan. Max is racing down to the one, and he's got uh, just an outside chance of stretching that ball out with defenders near him to get into the end zone. But he chooses not to put the ball at risk because he'd rather be first and goal right down there at the one or two. And he just cradles the ball and goes down and sets up the first and goal rather than stretching the ball and risking that. And again, that's not going to show up on any ledger sheet. That's not going to show up in the box score. But Max Duggan was smart enough to live for another play because all they needed to do was move the ball a yard or two and they were going to win the game. And I think that's one of those intangibles that Max brings. I know it's not going to fit in stats. I know it's not going to fit in uh, analytics, but that's one of the reasons that the next play they were able to stick it in the end zone because Max was smart enough to not try to risk it and live to fight for another down. You can't put a size of the man's heart on stats, Jeff. I mean... No, no you can't. I I agree with you, man. No, you can't. as as, As soon as they ran that first play, and I think Kendra got seven yards, I knew then that TC was going to win that game in double overtime. Just the way, like I said earlier, the way the offensive linemen were just beating down the defensive linemen for Oklahoma State. I mean, they were just so, I mean, they just had so much more energy than what, than what Oklahoma State did. And the way Kendra was running, but that, that play by Max, man, what a great play. And that's the play that we all, that we've all seen Max make for what? How many years now? Three years now? Four? Um, so four years. Well, that was, I think it was the same zone read that he ran yeah. to beat Texas in that up there in the north it, end zone. You know, in the same uniforms too. <laughs> but, but you know, it's yes. it's, it's fun to see him do well because Max didn't start the game hot. I mean, he was skipping passes, throwing throwing passes low, but. It's not how you start, Jeff. It's how you finish. And they finished. He finished. That's he right, finished coach. really good. 
um, made some really good throws, made some really good decisions. He's sitting at 16 touchdowns with one interception still. And that interception, I still think it should have an asterisk next to it because that was that was more like a punt, you know. Just throw a deep ball in, in, into the first yeah, half. Um, right. But, yeah, I, I love that play. I love being – I again, I wish I was down there, but I did see a lot of videos. It was cool to see Jeremiah Donati. Dean Straka had a really good video of – uh, Jeremiah, yes, he did. I think Jeremiah ran into the end zone before anyone else. Um, but it's good to see your athletic director go out there and, and do that. And man, you know, he's uh, he's getting a lot of praise right now for that hire. And I just wonder, I just wonder, man. Oh, I, and I'm man. not, I'm not throwing shade on anyone, but I wonder where the people are right now that did not want to have Dax as the coach. I, I really, I really, if, if you're listening to this and you don't want to have Dax, you didn't want to have Dax as your coach. Yeah, we still got November to go, and this team's six and zero. But I'm telling you right now, he's already met my expectations. I, I, I said a lot of things this year. I said this is a team that's anywhere from six to six and six to eight and four. Okay, he's already got him to a bowl game. He's done something else in program history that was never done before by beating three consecutive ranked teams. You got another one coming up on, on Saturday against Kansas state um, being a ranked team. So you're and you got a top five offense. You, you've got a quarterback playing out of his mind, a, a quarterback that no one wanted to give a chance to that's playing out of his mind. You got arguably one of the top running backs in the nation. You got one of the top three receivers in Quentin Johnston. Your offensive line's playing really well. So I, I would just – I mean, no one's going to pick on you. I just want to hear from you. If you were against Sonny Docks hiring, I want to feel – I, I want to hear what your opinion is now because this is the halfway point. Halfway point of the season, your team's 6-0 and and you're ranked number eight. Tell me why this was not a – tell me why, if you still feel it's not a good hire, I want to know why. And you beat three yeah. straight ranked teams. That's why three straight ranked teams. First time well, let me go history. Let me go ahead and eat. let's see if they can go four for four. So let me eat a little crow. I love the Dykes hire. I thought it was good when that when it it be, it was pretty evident from November on that Dykes was the top target. You know, I know they interviewed Billy Napier, who I would have been pleased if they hired. Um, he ended up taking the Florida job. No fault there. I. I, I don't. I mean, I think we can all move on from the Deion Sanders situation. I think it, Deion's going to be a Power Five head coach next year, probably. But we needed somebody that knew how to run a program. But I had chirped up and said I like Tony Elliott. He was the offensive coordinator at Clemson. Uh, he'd won two. He called plays to win two national titles and had played for two more. Made the playoffs all those years in a row. Do you do you know what uh, Virginia's record is right now? I have no idea. What is Wow. They are two and four. And now let me read to you four coaches that took uh, head coaching jobs, four assistants that took head coaching jobs from the Dabo Sweeney tree. Tony Elliott at Virginia, who's two and four. Jeff Scott, who's about to get fired at South Florida. Brent Venables, that I don't think any Oklahoma fan is happy with right now. And Chad Morris, who is washed up 
twice since then. Arkansas, you know, SMU, his, his, his accomplishment at SMU was to go 6-6 six and six and get the Arkansas job. He gets fired from Arkansas in two seasons, goes to Allen and basically gets fired after one season. Uh, yeah, that was not a good uh, – That was it was a bad take on my part to look at Tony Elliott. We have the – I didn't want Elliott over Dykes. I just thought he was a really quality candidate, and if we didn't get Dykes, Elliott would have been a good choice. Well, guess what? We got the best dang coach we could have grabbed. And it's not just that I feel like we know how to utilize the weapons that we have. It's what we've already said. He knows how to run a program. And it doesn't matter if you have a perfect scheme if you don't know how to be the CEO of a massive multi-million dollar organization. And so one of the things I put in my notes last week, and I didn't get a chance to talk about it, I'll just bring it up now. What I love about Donati is that he's not talking he, – he did not lose sleep over the fact that Dykes had a bad experience at Cal. Why don't you let Cal – why don't you let Cal pay for it? and let Dykes learn from it rather than hold it against him for him forever. And that's the weird thing about college football. You know as well as I do, you can get fired in the NFL and get another job the next year, right? In college, if you somehow didn't do great at one stop, it means you should never get another head coaching opportunity again. Well, Dykes was smarter than – or Donati was smarter than that with Dykes. And Sonny's real honest about what he did right and what he did wrong in Cal. And I'm so glad he got – he learned. I'm glad he was able to learn on somebody else's nickel. And we're really lucky to have him. We are really lucky to have him. And anybody that that thought that it was a bad hire, they can just humbly um, email me and tell me how wrong they were, and I will read it on the Frogcast. Or they can just say, "Hey, I'm happy that we're where we are," because the the haters are silent right now. Is oh, that yeah. not true? <laughs> there's there's definitely uh, there's definitely some quietness going on. You know the the, the thing I like most about Sonny was when he was at Cal, he started interviewing for other jobs. And that's why he got let go. <laughs> oh, I know. But man, talk about a mess out there in, in Cal. Uh, he wanted the Houston job. He was willing yeah. to take the Houston job at one point. Of Cal. Didn't Colorado yeah. just beat Cal? Yes, Good Colorado beat Cal. That's the sunny dock for them right there. Good for that's the sunny. Then you, that you, is the sunny. You, you lose to a team like Colorado. That's the same thing. That's the same thing. I and tell you know. I call it the Gunnar Henderson effect. No matter what, I tell the the guys from Frogs today. When he's in the game, good things happen, boys. No matter what. No matter what. It yes, doesn't matter do. if it's a draw play or a run or a pass to Quentin. Gunnar Henderson's in there. Good things happen. Yep, he's like another yep. coach on the field. All right, a couple things I wanted to highlight, and then I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna run through a couple things, and then you tell me about Marcel Brooks when I get to the end. Uh, number one, you know, everybody rushed a bunch of people rushed the field. I'm sitting in the south end zone uh, luxury box, suite box, because my brother is a well connected man, and he got me tickets there. Um, those are not where he sits. He wants me to make that clear. But when the game ends, I turn to my brother. I'm screaming. I'm hoarse. If you can't tell. I give him a huge hug, and he goes, I know you're leaving. I'm rushing the field. So my brother runs down onto the field, and I leave the my seats, and I literally run all the way to Pasco High School where I parked my car because I had to board a flight at oh, 8 o'clock man. at DFW in order to get back to wow. so. I mean, how close did you cut that? I mean, you had to be within 30 minutes of making that flight. 
Well, what happened was I go racing back out airport freeway. I drop the car, rental car off. I take the shuttle back. The shuttle takes forever. I get through security and they're, they're doing the last call for our flight. And we get there and then everybody has to get off and they move us to another plane. So I had time, but it was only because the, the plane had to be repaired and they had to get us another plane. So I ended up getting taken off like an hour and a half late. But I... If they would have just left on time, I would have been the. You know how you always got that last guy that comes on a plane, and everybody's like, "Buddy, hurry up! We're trying to leave." That was me. Wow! I'll <laughs> tell you what, man. You are cutting it too close. <laughs> I'd have been. I'd have well, been I wasn't a, banking on. I'd have had over. some crazy anxiety going on, but what? What do you do? I mean, it. it I mean, because the game ended like right after six, right? I mean, it's almost a four-hour game. Yeah, it was almost a four-hour game. It was, I think I put my key in the car at six thirty-five. Did you get on that plane? And I, I, I pulled out there to. I pulled into the uh, Alamo Auto re- uh, Rental Car Return at like seven oh eight. Well, but I learned from experience. You 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 got to get you got to exit yeah. the campus on Park Hill. Because that'll get you thirty, and the traffic's well, thinner out there. I'm betting so. on your on your voyage on Airport Freeway. You started to ask the big man, "Can you can you help me get there on time? Please help." You asked the big man well, for a favor, didn't you? That's why that plane was delayed. Well, this is why God made associate ministers. I was not on the books to preach this week. Our associate minister preaches one sermon in each Sunday in each series, and Cody was up to preach Sunday, so I had to just be back and. You know, be pastoral and prayerful and present and all that stuff. I didn't have to preach. So if I would have missed it, the world wouldn't have come to an end, but I would not have been happy. And I probably would have caught a lot of flack, not in a bad way, but I would have gotten some good ribbing because I made it clear, Van, I'll be back. Don't worry about it. I'll be here Sunday morning. But I got down and I think I laid down about 1245 oh, last night by the time I got back from the airport. And I was I was up early. I'm up early. So, I mean, it was pretty obviously a really happy day for you today and probably a lot of your uh, congregation as well being Tennessee folks, right? Is there many, is there many Tennessee fans there or is it all Memphis fans? No, I've got, I've got some hardcore volunteer fans. I got a couple of uh, big boosters. We might've used to call them bag men, but now it's all legal. I got a couple guys that they, I need them to give to the Lord as much as they're given to the volunteer football program. And they, they were there in their orange jackets and orange shoes. And yeah, we got a lot of Memphis fans. We're a Memphis, we're a Memphis church in terms of statistics of our football loyalties, but then it's Arkansas and Tennessee. And man, those, those uh, Tennessee fans, they were riding high. Somebody made a joke about it in the announcements and they all just started cheering. And I was like, if they break out in Rocky Top after the opening hymn, I'm going to lose my my, my my mind. But they didn't. They were just happy. And they, they acknowledged me, and they said, we know we have at least one Horn Frog fan. And I got four or five, actually. And we all we all cheered and stood up and yelled, Ref Ram. Right well, when you were down there at the south end zone, <laughs> I mean, was it – were you even watching the field or were you just watching the big Jumbotron at that point seeing if Kendra scored? Well, see, that's the problem being so far. Those seats are great, but I, I would rather be on the right. sidelines rather than the end zone because when it's coming right at you, it's amazing. And when they're down in your end going away from you, you can see all of the passing lanes. But when you're way down there on the on the north goal line, it's hard. And so I, I was watching the Jumbotron, 
And then I watched, you know, I watched Kendra get in and I, I heard the crowd erupt. And then next thing you know, it's just like students are spilling onto so, the field right away. Let me and ask so, you this, because the thing about TCU that's different from a lot of press boxes, they don't have windows that open up there. Or if they do open, they're not, mm. they're never open. In some places you, you, you get, like last week in Kansas, they had the windows open. So you could hear the atmosphere. You could hear the noise. What was it like down there being on the field and so close oh, to everything? It was, How loud was it? Oh, it was loud. It's the loudest I've ever heard it. Now, I was not at, at Utah in 09, but it was the loudest I have ever heard. The only thing that ever touched it was, and I was in the press box for it, so it's hard to measure, but that when Max Duggan scored against Texas in 2019 with a, with a minute to go, that was a, 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 an explosion that was contained in that moment. But that whole overtime drive, I mean, people were already on their edge with Max getting it down there to the goal line. But then when Kendra scored, that, that's the loudest I've ever heard Eamon Carter. And the only thing that, you know, I watched, I've watched the replay on TV, and the only thing that could touch that moment on, on watching it was the Paul Dawson pick six against OU when he when he jumped in front of Trevor Knight's pass? That was that was insane. But no, that's the loudest I've ever I've ever heard Eamon Carter for a game that I've been at. And you know the poke showed up, but there was that was the largest crowd I've ever seen for a game. Also, and so I was it it, it was insane. That was that that is what college football is made for. I know that the playoff is important. I know that you want to you want to build your brand and play as late into the year as possible. But college football is at its best when big games matter in October, and you can get that moment. And your 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 everything is still in front of you. Your stadium goes wild. You're you're flooding the field with twenty year olds, and everybody's just basking in the glory of, of being where we are now compared to where we've been the last few years. It w- it was an insane experience, and I'm really glad I was there. Well, I'm I wish really you would have been able to rush there. the field, and I had to go back to the airport. You might have seen the broadster running around. Had you done? Oh yeah, he oh, definitely he jumped was, down man. there. He was with a group of kids, and they they all jumped down there. Yeah. Well, one of the fun things that I heard, uh, Richard Johnson, he's uh, he works for Sports Illustrated and he has a podcast called Split Zone Duo. It's the it's the one podcast I listen to other than the Frogcast, and I never miss it. But he was covering the game for SI, and he said on his podcast that came, I listened to it after church today. He said he was down on the field and he runs. He was going out on the field to cover post game. And he was with two or three other national reporters, and it was the first game he'd ever been to at TCU. And he said he didn't know where the um, post-game press conference was, and he'd lost all the people that had been there numerous times. And so he said, I just followed Sonny Dykes. I just, wherever Dykes went, I went. And then I eventually followed him and ended up maybe in a spot in the locker room. And uh, it took the players forever to get back to the state, into the locker room for Sonny to give that post-game you know, pep talk and, and, and speech. And the players just had a hard time getting back. So I see why the Big 12 finds you, because if you're a Oklahoma State offensive lineman or defensive lineman that just got waylaid to give up the, the, the game and take the L, they're, they're have, they don't want to be down there with a bunch of drunk 20-year-olds and students and my brother. They want to get off that field as quick as they can. And it's hard to move around <laughs> when you rush the field. I rushed the field for Baylor. I did in 2015. Um, RIP, the last moment that Art Browse ever coached in Fort Worth and walked off with an internal L. Uh, and it was insane then, and there's no way there were as many people on the field for um, 
Baylor as there were yesterday after the well, Oklahoma State win. So it was it was, it was, it was cold it was and rainy nice. that night. I was standing next to Mark Cohen right at the line of scrimmage where uh, Julius Lewis and Ty Summers were able to tackle the Baylor run. Yeah, that that yep. was that was a pretty cool pretty cool scene, but. That was one of my favorite Estridge calls ever. Shy of the line, that 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 just has stuck with me. And you got Ty Summers rushing off the field, and God bless Gary, they've got a camera on him just erupting yeah. with delight. I mean, that that's probably one of Gary's favorite moments ever of coaching is to stick it to them oh, on yeah. that last he play was, of the game. Another double yeah, overtime win for the Frogs after that game. Yeah. But yeah, that was uh, that was that was fun, man. I, I mean. I wish we could hear a little bit more, but it was, you know, just listening to everyone and, and how loud it was. It sounded like the atmosphere was great. I had a bunch of friends text me and, and tell me, man, this was awesome. A couple of them hadn't been to a TCU game before and were going crazy. And, you know, they had the national championship trophy there, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, I, I know. And, and, yeah. and Brody got, so Brody that was, got a picture that was with thanks it, to uh, Swint. As soon as I got out of the parking garage, I hear someone yelling my name, and it ended up being Swint on our board. And uh, it was over at the tailgate he was at. And, uh, yeah, so people were taking pictures with it. And be pretty cool, you know, a few, few months from now, Jeff, if we're seeing that trophy again, TC having a possibility to play for mm-hmm. that thing. Well, let me, let me tell you something that happened. And, and my brother tell me, told me I'm living all wrong, and I don't know how to make the most of this. Two times, I'm standing in line to get a beer, and I'm just talking it up with fans because I'm having a great time. I'm talking it up with fans, and the guy I'm be- the behind me is like, man, you're the guy that does the frog cast. I'm like, well, yeah. He goes, man, I recognize that voice right away. And I well, man, let me buy you a beer. Thank you for listening. And so my brother, and I did that twice. I had that happen two times. And so somebody said, you, you, you do the frog cast. I really appreciate you guys doing that. And so I bought him a beer, and my brother's like, no, yeah, you need to make them so. buy you a beer. Why are you buying people a beer? Why don't you make everybody buy you a beer? You should not be paying for beer. I was like, oh, that makes sense, man. But I was just grateful. So if you're still listening to this, thank you. I mean, I, I, I track our numbers. We're through the roof right oh. now. This is the biggest we've ever been. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for all 4,800 of you that are listening to this show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But uh yeah, I need to start. I need to. I need to turn the tables there. So if you're in, ta- if you're in line and you hear my voice, you got to buy yeah. me a beer. Are we good with yeah, that? I think next I think time, that's how it next work. time, let let that loyal listener buy you a beer. I think, that, think that's how how yeah, it needs I to will. work. <laughs> I think so too. And maybe some Heim barbecue. Hey, guess and, what? And, and it might things, be even so. bigger this week. It might. It might. Well, what do we know about Marcel Brooks? I saw him leave the field on crutches with a brace on his knee. You got any information? I know, I know Sonny will let you know later this week. But I, do you know I anything heard. right now? Um, I don't think it looked good at all. Brody told me he saw him in a wheelchair, so I don't know if that's true or not. That's, that's coming from no. an unconfirmed 14-year-old source, you know. Well, I'll, I'll trust him well, more I'll, than I'll corrupt tell you media this. like you. He knows his he knows his dadgum TCU football, and he knows every single one of them players. And and uh, he, you know, I I didn't say anything about it to him, and he said he's asking me on the way home. You think Marcel's going to be okay? I said I don't know, and he said he was in a wheelchair when I saw him. And so I'm hoping that was I'm hoping that's not true, but it 
the injury didn't look good, man. And you hate it for him because he's played so hard. He's he's worked so hard to get back where he's where he's at now. He's such a good spirited kid. Brings a lot of uh, joy to the team. I mean, he's just another one of those kids that with the coaching change, it's brought out the best in him. And you know, and you hate yeah. you hate to see it for him because I I, I really feel. And we, a lot of people ask about Marcel Brooks. I know some people get agitated by it because he's not a, a superstar, but you do have, you do have a, uh, a kid that people want to succeed. And I think for the most part, that's why people ask about him because you just see the, the road that he's taken to try to get to where he's at now. And then to see that another freaking detour come up because of, of an injury is just, it's heartbreaking for him because they're heartbreaking for fans because they want to see him do good. And, uh, I hope it, I hope it's, I hope it's going to be yeah. good. I hope it's, I hope it's not the worst, but right now I'm just not real optimistic about it. No, anybody that leaves the field on crutches, let alone reported by a 14 year old that he's in a wheelchair. There's nothing good about that. Nothing good about that at all. Well, what are we going to see this Saturday? Seven o'clock big game. Another nationally televised team, uh, game against top 20 teams. Horn Frogs checking in at number eight. K-State moved up a notch. Uh, five, you know, the, the Wildcats are five and one. This is a team that the Frogs have had a hard time beating yeah. in the last several years. What do you think we're going to see this Saturday night against the Kansas State Wildcats? Steady dose of Taylor Martinez and Deuce Vaughn. Adrian Martinez. Did I say Taylor Martinez again? Where the heck you am did. I getting that Taylor Martinez because they had a they, Nebraska had a quarterback named Taylor Martinez that that was that played almost like him. He was basically a running quarterback, and he played for him about ten years ago. And well, of I course, guess, Adrian I played guess quarterback that's what I'm, I'm messing Frost. up. So Adrian Martinez, a steady dose of Adrian Martinez, and Deuce Vaughn, who might be the best running back in the Big Twelve, not named Kendra Miller or John Robinson. Yeah, um, and then. Uh, Malik Knowles. I mean, Malik Knowles is a, a is a really good receiver. Uh, but here's the he thing: is. it's going to be very boring if you're an offensive fan. It's going to be very boring for you to watch. They're not going to. They're Chris Kleiman's a veteran. He knows how to run the clock. He knows how to let the clock play into his hands. And and they're not going to allow TCU's offense to to have a lot of opportunity. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like Martinez is going to run the ball a lot. I, I would predict that he's going to run the ball anywhere from twenty-five to thirty times, because that's you know, the, the running quarterbacks have had success against TCU's defense. Uh, Kansas State's a, a good team. They're well coached. Chris Kleiman's a really good coach. Their only loss, okay, is to Tulane. Uh, before you start saying, "Man, Kansas, Kansas State lost to Tulane," has anyone seen what Tulane is doing right now? They're ranked number twenty-five in in under-resourced private school. Is yeah. probably going to win the American. And if they beat Cincinnati, they're going. They're to the six and one right now. They're six and one, and they're ranked. Yeah. They're ranked number twenty-five. So Kansas State's only loss of the year is is not to a bad team. Uh, I feel like TCU's team speed's going to be a difference maker. But I I, I see this game kind of lining up how it was against Kansas. I've, I really feel like Kansas State's a disciplined team. They they don't have the 
the type of speedy athletes TCU has, but they've got good athletes. I think Deuce Vaughn, like I said earlier, he's one of the best running backs in the Big 12. Knowles is a good receiver. And Martinez is, you know, when you're talking about running quarterbacks, I mean, him and him and Doug and Max or Max Duggan are the two guys, the, the premier guys in the conference when it comes to running the football at quarterback. So it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. I love that it's a blackout. I love the unis. They just unveiled the unis that they're going to be wearing today. They want the fans to wear black. So 7 o'clock kickoff, night game. This is the one we've all been waiting for. So do not go to the steak and soccer game at 7 o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this is a, a call to all frogs. Do not go to soccer game. Do not go to some martini bar with your girl. Go watch football. This this is this is your time. Go to go to the wife. Go to the girlfriend. Go to whoever, and tell them you want to go to Amon Carter Stadium on Saturday to support the Frogs. This is a big game. This is a, a matchup right. of two top twenty five teams. You've got TCU at number eight now. It's time to dust off that purple T shirt if you haven't gone to a game. Time to get that hat out. Go see a game. The kids will be all right. I promise you. Take it from a guy who missed some some key games of his son's pee wee career. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. I promise you. Because you know how many times my, my son has come to me and, 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 and talked to me about how much it hurt him that dear old dad wasn't there to watch his games? Zero. Zero. Uh, yeah. Zero times. So it'll, it'll be okay for our fans. And if you're a coach, I'm with you. I used to coach. I used to, I used to coach. I coached the peewee football. I coached volleyball. It'll be okay. I promise you, it'll be okay. You 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 can miss that select baseball tournament. You can do all of it. It's just it's just for three or four hours on Saturday night. Go out there and do it. If you got to work, go to work. If we want, if we if we if we want to keep moving up in the world, yeah. this is what it takes. If we want to keep moving up in the polls, we need we need every voice there hoarse by the fourth quarter. So, are you? Dare I say, calling all frogs? As Gary calling all frogs. Sonny <laughs> uh, will probably be out there handing out, you know, free drinks to all the students on Tuesday. Free drinks, free tickets. Hey, speaking of the students, that's the that's the most packed oh I've gosh. ever seen that student section. Well, that was where the broaster was sitting. Was not rotten. It, it was in section one twenty. That's where some of the recruits sit. The, mm-hmm. the recruits sit on. The end by the showgirls, and then down by one twenty. Yeah, they know what they're doing. Yeah, so they know where to put them. It was back. So <laughs> I, I know we haven't got to it, and this is a an hour and two minutes into the show. But I, I did promise to let the folks know that the the guys that were there that were committed to other schools, um, Andre Kojo, yeah, which I found out that he was oh. the only. Uh, offensive line commit that Texas has that was not in Austin for their game against Iowa State. He was there in Fort he, he Worth. He was there in Fort mom. Worth. His mom's one of the sweetest ladies ever. I saw her. She saw me. She waved at me and waved at her. And I was just like, well, I guess they don't mind uh, people knowing that they're, they're at TCU. So he was there. Trey Wilson from Lakeview Centennial was there. He's committed to Baylor at the moment. Uh, Jalen Braxton, he was there, top cornerback. This is a, this is a guy that 
is very, very high on the, the frog's wish list. I mean, he's, we've talked about it several times. What guys would they take? He, he's the guy they would take. They, they would, they would love him. Um, oh yeah. He's, he's definitely, a take. A ta- he's, uh, he's currently, he's currently committed to Arkansas. Another guy that was supposed to be there. He was not able to make it. He had a death in the family. Javon Thomas from South Oak Cliff currently, currently committed Ooh. to Texas A&M. He was, he was supposed to be there. And the other kid, I never saw him in pregame, but I was told he was going to be there. And he was about, he was literally about to be pulling up into the stadium is Jordan Sanford, the four-star safety committed to Texas Tech. So they're still in it with a lot of these guys. And a lot of these guys are listening. I I would definitely, uh, I, I think it speaks volumes that Kojo, Kojo was really, really close to, choosing TCU. I mean, it was always TCU in Texas. And the next thing you know, they come out with the pancake club or whatever the heck it is down at Texas for their NIL. And yeah. Blah, blah. And then he, he decides to go to go to Texas. But I, I think it speaks volumes that he's still listening to TCU. And um, I think it speaks even more volumes that they knew all those offensive line commits were going to be in Austin. And he was the only one out there. So, mm-hmm. um, that's that's big to me. So keep an eye on those developments. Um, I'm still trying to get a hold of some guys to see how the the game was for them. Um, if I had a crew of about four or five guys, I'd already have it done, but it's just me. So got to be patient with me a little bit. But we'll, yeah. uh, I think I think recruiting is going to be trending up here pretty pretty quick. Well, we know that obviously nobody's going to be sleeping on Kansas State, and I'm not saying it's a cakewalk after that. But then you get West, you go to West Virginia, which will be tough. They they they, they, beat, played, they beat Baylor they, on Thursday night. Did. That was a fun. Yep. And then they they come home against Texas Tech, and these are probably two of the three weakest teams in the conference. And so if we can beat Kansas State, if we can get a packed house, we can beat a ranked uh, Wildcats. If we can get recruits on campus, then we get a chance to move to nine and zero to head to Austin um, for to play a Texas team. That we'll, we'll see where they're at then. We'll see where they're at then. But that may be the toughest game left after Kansas State. But I'm not looking past West Virginia. We haven't won there since we've only won there once. No, twice. We haven't won there since 2014. And our best team we've ever had in the modern era had to fight back to win on a game-ending field goal from Jaden Overcrom. But, uh, man, if we can win this game, we got nothing but opportunity Absolutely. in front of us. So get out there on That's Saturday right, night. Get out there. If, if you That's can, right. if, if get Jeff Mitchell, right. who had pastoral duties, yeah. I don't care if you were just sitting in the back watching. Yeah. People if, need to see if their If you can make it from Memphis, you fly in, and then you're sprinting to the airport to get on your plane to get back, folks can miss – other events they have going on, including including right. um, soccer games. And if you if you have family that's scheduled a shame wedding on, on a Saturday in the fall, shame on them. You know, you need uh, the the Mennonites have the and Amish have this tradition of shunning families. Dwight used to shun people, and you need to shun them. Why? Who would who would get married in in late October in Texas? Absolutely. On a I mean, just. Why? 
why? Why would you do this? Explain this to me. Anyway, all right. Everybody knows we're joking, and we're also not joking. I don't know who you're so. joking with. I'm not joking. I all right. Out some I know. I'm not. <coughs> People always ask me if I'm free to do their wedding in the fall, and I say no. I'm busy that day. <laughs> I already have appointments. As, as, we, as we're watching, as I we're do. talking, I'm just watching Cavante Turpin return a punt that was inside his own five out to his own 38. So Cavante Turpin's doing his thing in the NFL. But there's a flag on the play, of uh, course. Good for Turk. Mm. Of course. And we, of course, are not breaking any broadcast rights by acknowledging what's happening in the Cowboys. Right, because they won't hear this not until later on. They won't. They, that's right. They won't. They won't. Uh, well, Jeremy, we've got an hour and ten minutes here, buddy. I think we're going to bring this thing to a merciful end. Anything else you want to close good. with? Big game Saturday. I think we're good. Big game Saturday. Be there. Get out there. Wear black and be loud. Show up early, man. Get you can t- you can start tailgating before lunch, man. Enjoy this game. Hey, I'm, Enjoy uh, this- I, I do have something. You mentioned tailgates, so I would you know I would love to have a uh, meet and greet with some of you guys. So any tailgates, I know uh, my buddy Marty always invites me, and I need to go over to his tailgate, but. I've got some friends looking for a tailgate spot on Saturday. So if you guys want to send out some uh, tailgate spots, I'd be much obliged. We need some Horn Frog Blitz hospitality on display. Get Jeremy and his buddies there. If you if you don't want to host, and buy him a drink. Don't make him buy you a drink. No, don't give me any drinks because I don't need to be <laughs> slurring up in the press box. No, you don't. No, you don't. People this morning were asking me, man, are you hungover? I'm like, no, I'm just hoarse because I screamed the entire game. I did I did turn and tell you all you all old people need to stand up. It's third down. And they looked at me like I just, you know, oh, I, church I, I will say this. So my wife went to the game and she was there. She hates the heat. She absolutely loathes the mm-hmm. heat. Does not do it. She she sat out there and watched that dang game on the east side people in the sun mm. so i don't want to hear any excuses about it being the- too hot <laughs> oh man god bless you jeremy i love it they can send uh, any uh hate responses at jeff.mitchell at gmail.com yeah dot com that's right or m.cohen <laughs> at tcu.edu that's He'll give you a stat about how this is the fourth hottest game on record when the Horn Frogs are hosting a ranked yes. team as a ranked team. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thanks, everybody, for sticking with us through an hour and ten minutes here on this episode of the Frogcast. If you haven't yet, subscribe to us. Give us a rating and a review. And if you love this show, man, let people know about it. If you find a link, forward it, send it to your buddies, get it on your text thread. We are just climbing every week with new listeners and new subscribers. Give us a rating as well. Tell everybody We only accept five-star ratings. If you got a one-star rating, send it to mark.cohen at tcu.edu. Give us a five-star rating and a review. We would love to build that up. We continue to thank everybody who takes the time to listen to this episode every week. And also, if you haven't yet, now is the time to go join hornfrogblitz.com, TCU 24-7. We've got the best info you can find out about what's going on at practice, on the field, and most importantly, off the field as recruiting is continuing to heat up. 
with this historic season in the first year of the Sunny Dykes era, we got people that are at big programs that are committed that are saying, I think I need to take another look at TCU. Are they going to are they going to continue to look? Are they going to decommit? Are they going to commit? Stay logged on to Horn Frog Blitz for all the latest. So until the next time, for Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast.